Tonight here at Ground Zero Meetings, we're going to continue going through our, our Bible lessons, and tonight's lesson is on the book of Hosea. Um, he was a man who lived in the upper parts of Israel, you know, as the kingdom split after um, Solomon was king, that the two kingdoms did not like what was going on, and there was a shattering amongst Israel. And there was Israel kind of got broken to the north and Judah kind of went to the south. You know, and um, God called Hosea to be a prophet to his people. Now, it's so interesting to me. I'm learning a lot as I've been studying and learning this stuff because, you know, last week we were, you know, almost a few hundred years prior to where we are now. You know, and all these prophets are kind of going and saying the same messages. You know, and uh, God calls Hosea to be a prophet in the midst of Israel when it's basically one of their worst kings that they've had. You know, it's Jeroboam II. You know, and, and the nation is completely descending into chaos. They're worshiping idols. You know, they're they're bringing in all these different foreign gods. They're having sacrifices to other gods in God's temple, you know, the depravity that's going on in the city and in the country is at all-time high. You know, it seems like God is nowhere to be found, but yet God still has, you know, tricks up his sleeve. You know, the Assyrian Empire, you know, last week we were talking about the Babylonian Empire who came in and destroyed things from the north. Well, now we're talking about the Assyrian Empire that's coming in. So basically, Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. They got exiled back into Babylon. Now a whole bunch of time has passed, and they've gotten put back into Jerusalem to give them another chance. And here they are doing the same old stuff all over again. Any of us done the same old stuff all over again, even though we've been spanked by God or life on life's terms that continues to tell us that what we're doing is a bad idea, but maybe just one more time. You know, I'll just, just do a little bit. And uh, we end up in in chaos and, and bad places. So, you know, and Hosea has been telling them that this is going to happen, but nobody wants to believe the prophet. You know, nobody wants to, you know, to believe that, you know, once again, you know, God's people are going to be uprooted out of Jerusalem. So the beginning of this book, we see Hosea and his broken marriage. Um, he gets married to a woman by the name of Gomer. So right there, Hosea is already very spiritual on a level that none of us men would be able to touch. Not only is her name Gomer, she's a prostitute. And... It believes that she gets restored and, you know, Hosea begins to have this relationship with this woman and they begin to have children. But then she goes back into, you know, the city and and does her thing, you know, and gets pulled away from him, you know, and and instead of divorce, which according to the law, he would have been completely okay with doing, he probably could have had her killed. God tells her, tells him to go get her. You know, and, uh, 
God asked him to commit to someone who wasn't really trustworthy. That she was very unfaithful to him. And even though that they had three children, she left the family and went back into her addiction. You know, most likely she was partying and, and doing her thing and she got caught up in, in running the streets. As I know that I've been there and I know a, a few of your stories and, and we have been there as well. You know, and Hosea is committed to Gomer and he goes and gets her over and over again. And he would search the streets looking for his wife, asking people if they'd seen her. I can't imagine how embarrassing that would be. I can't imagine, you know, the ability to have that type of obedience to God when your family is completely shattered and God's asking you to be obedient and go love your wife and go get your wife. And he ends up finding her and basically she's in the sex slave industry. He's, she's probably got a pimp. You know, I mean, that's a modern day term, but you know, he finds her and, and wants to take her and, and the guy that has her says, no, she's mine. She belongs to me. And Hosea is, you know, asks how much is she worth? And he ends up paying 15 shekels, 15 pieces of silver for something he already owns in a sense. You know, and this is very symbolic to God coming to rescue us time and time and time again. And he already owns us. We already belong to him. And we fail him on a regular basis. We prostitute ourselves. We sell ourselves into all sorts of addictions, all sorts of idol worship. Now, some of us would say, I'm not a prostitute. I'm definitely a prostitute. I have sold myself for money. I have sold myself for an addiction. I have sold my, you know, identity into relationships, into lust, into drugs, into alcohol, more times than I can count that I have sold myself to worship something that brought no satisfaction. So this is a symbol of Israel's constant rejection of God. And this is also a symbol of God's grace and mercy upon us over and over and over again. That He never gives up on us. He never gives up on us. You know, that she was completely unfaithful to him, constantly running away. He would go and find her and bring her home. And the second his back was turned, she's out the door and running again. Repeatedly, Hosea was loving her, paying off her debts, and loving her. And in spite of what she has done, God was using Hosea as this prophetic message to Israel because everybody was watching him do this. That the priests and the religious rulers of the day would have stoned her. And yet, 
in God's grace. He was continuing to chase after her in her prostitution, in her greed, in her worship of idols, in her lust, in her, you know, money hungry, you know, in that, that desire of the flesh that was constantly pulling her back. And yet in God and in His mercy kept going to get her. I am so grateful that I don't have to behave. If following Jesus was about behaving, we're all screwed. However, because of that great grace that wrecks us from the inside out, that I no longer want to chase after things that don't satisfy me. I want to chase after the one who can. And Jesus is the only one. And in His grace and in His mercy, He has taught me what it means to have identity in Christ where I've always been running from and running to all these other things to try to find some sort of validation, try to find some sort of security, try to find some sort of identity. And yet could never grab a hold of it. It was never enough. It never satisfied me. I was constantly on to the next thing. So even though that Gomer had this husband and this family who who loved her, it wasn't enough. That she needed the attention of other men. She needed that that pleasure. She needed the, the, the streets. So many of us get addicted to the chaos of the street. That we get bored in our Christianity, we get bored in our sobriety, and we go look for something to turn it up. And we always find some sort of craziness, and we feel like, yeah! And then everything falls apart. It's never enough. That God is this faithful husband, and that we are His bride. And that He constantly is pursuing us even when we're chasing things that we shouldn't be chasing. Even though people have told us that that isn't what we should be doing, even though that we should be doing this, even though we should be getting more Jesus, even though that we should be behaving. When we don't have this desire to know God and we know a bunch of stuff about God, it's never enough to satisfy that that pull. Because we have this giant hole on the inside of us that needs to be filled and the only thing that can fill that hole is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the only thing that satisfies us. That we can know a ton about God. But if we don't know God, there's always something missing And we're always looking for something else to satisfy us. And it's always this bitter taste in our mouth. That God rescued them from slavery. He brought them to the Mount Sinai where He poured out His presence upon them. He gave them the law. He created a covenant with them. And He asked them to to be in this relationship with Him. That they would be faithful to Him and Him alone. He provided for them through the desert. He led them into the promised land. He gave them so much. And then they gave it to other gods. 
They sold themselves into slavery once again. Because even though they knew things about God, they didn't know God. And so often we get into the religious motions and we know this and we know that and we have all the things in place, we check our boxes and yet something's missing. And we have moments where God satisfies us. We have moments where we're lifting our hands in worship. We have moments where the presence comes. And then we go right back into the world and sell ourselves to the same stuff that we're trying to get free from. Well, I'm not doing this anymore, Tom. Well, good. You're never supposed to be doing that. I'm proud of you. I think my favorite one is like, at least I'm not smoking crack anymore. Not really sure who told you you could be and should be smoking it, but I'm glad that you're not. But you brought three different girls to church this month. Maybe we should be working on that. Go back to smoking crack. I don't know. That's between you and Jesus. I think you were sinning a little less when you're puffing on the pipes, but hey, that's just my opinion. So often we make these excuses that I'm not doing this anymore so it gives me the rights to do all these other things. That we somehow have this this list of things that these are bad sins and these are okay sins. Where did we get the list from? Because each one of us has one of those lists. Well, I'm not doing this so I can do that. Well, I'm not doing that so I can do this. Well, I'm better than you because I'm not doing that anymore. And all of a sudden... Christians attack each other because I got a little bit of freedom over here and got one foot in the puddle. And guess what? You got the same foot in a different puddle. Because we're still selling ourselves, we're still prostituting ourselves to this world in many different ways. And we have some God, but yet it doesn't consume us. It doesn't consume us the same way our addictions consume us. I know when my addiction consumes me, there is no other thought going on in my head besides getting what I want. And if Jesus somehow isn't in that place in my life, those other things begin to be very illuminating. And and I wonder what they're doing. Well, it's Friday night. I wonder where he is. You know, I could call so-and-so, and I I bet you we could... uh, Because something's not being satisfied by going through the motions of church. When I first came to church, I was freshly off a relapse of smoke and crack. Went to detox, got out of detox, went back to an AA meeting, ran into a girl, said, my church is doing this recovery meeting, you should come. I'm like, you have a really nice hiney. I will follow you wherever you want to go. And off to church I went. And I ran into this meeting, which used to be called Celebrate Recovery, and I got punched straight in the face by Jesus for the first time in my life, even though I got raised in the church. And I sat there and I would cry. And I'm like, I'm not touching that girl. 
So I went and touched different girls. I'm like, I'm not messing with them church girls. They're no. But I know the type of girls I like, so I went and found one. So Jesus was just about keeping me sober. It wasn't about a complete regeneration of my heart and a renewal of my mind and a complete saving of my soul. I was just trying to get Jesus to to get me free of what I wanted to be free from, but not completely free. And after some time, and telling this girl that I was going to church, she wanted to come to church with me. I'm like, oh, hell no. I'm not taking you to them, because then they're going to know what I'm doing. Like, I had this thing separated, and I was completely comfortable with this, but now my worlds are colliding. No, no, no. So I ran from her and from church. Church went first, and then she had to go because I was mad at her because I left that, and it was her fault. Made complete sense. And to deal with the brokenness that I just now created in my own life, I needed to do lines off the back of toilet seats and bars once again. Makes complete sense. And now I'll just sleep with different girls that don't make me feel guilty. But yet people that I'd started connecting to in the church start coming into my workplace and be like, hey, how are you? I'm like, oh, damn, these people won't leave me alone. (laughs) But in my sin, God came and got me. So often we put God in a box of what God can do or will do or won't do for who we think He should or shouldn't. Because that's not what I would do. I'm real grateful I'm not God, and I'm really grateful none of you are God. Because this world would be way more jacked up. (laughs) That He comes into our brokenness when we least expect it. And He begins to take us on this, this course to find out who He really is. And what I've learned is that when I started coming back again, I had to put everything I thought I knew on the shelf. Well, I know this and I know that and I have this opinion. I've watched this movie. I've had this conversation. I believe in this and I believe in that. I believe in evolution and I don't believe in this. And Moses was a hippie on mushrooms and da 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 All my head was full of all this junk. And what I really understood is I didn't know a thing. And I had to put all of my, I think I know, on the shelf. And I had to pick up my Bible, and I started reading a page a day, and it turned into a chapter a day. And it turned into, what's happening in the next chapter? And all of a sudden, God starts speaking to me off those pages. I'm like, whoa, this book is weird. Every time I touch it, every time I'm looking at it, it's exactly what I'm going through. How does that happen? I don't, I don't know if I believe this or not. And God kept showing me how real He was. Pulling me deeper into a relationship with Him because He was showing me that He is more real than the air that I breathe. And He kept messing with the things that I thought I knew. 
that the Bible completely destroys our ability to be religious and be in sin. And most of us as Christians don't touch it. Because then I can stay in sin and I can put God in my box. But the second I start reading it, I'm like, wait a minute, what? The Bible says this? Well, the church says that. Which do I choose? I chose the Bible. And I continue to choose the Bible. And the Bible continues to change me. And there's two types of people that I continue to run into, and they're fun. And one's a person that owns a Bible but doesn't really read it, but wants to hit you over the head with it. And then there's other people that have a big book that have learned it, but don't really participate and act that way, and they beat you over the head with it. And personally, I should think we should play dodgeball and stick those people on two sides, and you chuck Bibles at these people, and you chuck big books at these people, and the winner gets to come to GZM. However, what I've learned is my Bible is not a club for you. My Bible is a mirror for me. And when I read it, Jesus' reflection should be shining back off of those pages, and it doesn't. And I see how far I fall short on a regular basis. That I don't match the way I should live. I fall short. And it pulls me deeper into a relationship with Jesus to say, Jesus, I can't. I don't know how. I'm struggling. I want to choke this person. God, give me mercy. God, help me to have grace. God, I need a lot of grace. God, I need like a lot of grace. God, I don't know how much more I can take. God, I don't know how I can resist the temptation. God will give us so much more than we can handle in our strength every day. However, there is nothing that he gives us that we can't handle in his. And so often, we're trying to handle life in our strength and in what we know about religion, rather than, I don't know nothing, and I fall short, and Jesus, I need you. And somehow he works miracles in that situation, where I think he should operate this way, and he completely does things outside of my box, and completely takes care of me and other stuff. And I'm like, that's not how that's supposed to work. And then I'm like, I'm really grateful that you just did that because that didn't make any sense to me. And I'm glad, I'm really grateful that that took place and that happened and that didn't happen this way. And I don't understand why this is happening this way, but I'm going to trust you as I walk through it. Where my religiousness and in my flesh, I'm ready to run. Because I want to pick some other God, some other idol, some other thing that's going to satisfy me in my brokenness. I want some relationship. I want some chemical. I want some addiction. I want some computer screen. I want some feeling. And God's like, just sit in it and trust me. And I'm like, I don't want to do it this way. How often when you do it your way, Tom, does it work? Uh, none. Trust me. I don't want to. Okay, I'm going to trust you. Because I've learned that I have a 100% track record of destroying everything I touch. I am no different than Gomer. I could be no different from Gomer today. That I could run back into my addictions. I can chase my flesh to get a feeling. Or I can sit in it 
and walk through it and be uncomfortable and be afraid and tears rolling down my face and saying, I trust you, Jesus. I don't like this at all. I got you. It doesn't feel like you got me. It's okay. Trust me. This sucks. It's okay. I got you. I can't imagine what Jose was going through as he's walking down those streets looking for his wife. I can't imagine what Christ went through as he was on his way to the cross for us. And yet we minimize. We minimize what Christ does on a regular basis and we just go to church. And we completely fall short and we check our little box for the week and we go off and we worship the world. We all do it. We all need Jesus. We all need more Jesus. We all need more Jesus. That Hosea is this representation of, of never giving up. That God never gives up on us. He never gives up on our situation. He never gives up on your children. He never gives up on your parents. He never gives up on your situations. He never gives up on your finances. He never gives up. We just have to walk through it His way. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Absolutely. If you ever have a preacher tell you that it's not, walk out. Because in my Bible, I watch over and over again as those Words pop off that page that through suffering, endurance, you learn obedience and a deeper relationship with me. I read it this morning in Hebrews. We will suffer in this world because this is not where we belong. That someday we will be with Him. But today ain't that day. Some of us just wish that we could get raptured. Today ain't the day. I wish my suffering would go away. Today ain't the day. Today's the day that you grow with Jesus. Or you run from Jesus. You're either with me or against me. Well, I don't like that answer. It's the Bible. I didn't write the damn thing. I just chose to read it. Over and over and over again. Repeatedly. Hosea is loving her and chasing her. God never gives up on us. But there's sometimes that things don't go the way we'd hope. That we get a bad answer. That court doesn't go the way we'd hoped. Sometimes court does go the way we'd hoped. Sometimes the job goes the way we hoped. Sometimes we don't get the job. Sometimes the family member walks away. Sometimes the family member comes home. Sometimes the person gets sick. Sometimes the person gets well. What do we do? We pray. And even though that this is going on and Hosea was telling them to repent and to turn, they chose not to listen to him. And Assyria came in and, and wrecked everything. 
And even though that there was defeat and they were being exiled again, Hosea had this message of hope and restoration in the midst of chaos. Isn't that Jesus? In the midst of our craziness, Jesus is like, I got this. Just trust me. And we're freaking out on the inside. Or maybe I'm the only one that freaks out. Some of you have heard it, and some of you are are newer to this. The I trust you Jesus prayer was birthed out of everything in my life going the wrong way. And I didn't understand, and I couldn't provide, and I couldn't pay my bills, and I'm serving him, and things aren't going well, and I haven't really read my Bible, and I wasn't really praying, but I was going through the motions of church, and everything was falling apart, and I didn't understand why things weren't happening the way I think they should, and I was watching other people get blessings and get married, and all these other things were going on to all these other people, and I was being a good Christian, and why isn't this happening? And I'm praying, and this isn't fair. And I'm so angry on the inside that I can friggin' scream, and all I want to do is run away. I'm done with this. The Holy Spirit chimes in and says, do you trust me? And I'm like, yes. Sit still. I don't want to sit still. Do you trust me? Yes. Sit still. That this became my pattern for years. Years I would go through this pattern where I'm on the verge of quitting. I'm on the verge of leaving. I'm on the verge of running. And the Holy Spirit would say, do you trust me? I'm like, damn it. Will you come up with a different friggin' thing? Yes, I trust you. Well, sit still. I'm like, you say that one more time. I literally got so angry. I bent the steering wheel on my truck because I hit it so hard. Because I was sick of his answers. I wanted my will to be done in Jesus' name. Don't you know what I'm going through? And God began to shift me in spite of me and started to show me His sovereignty that He's got this thing figured out. I don't need to be a control freak trying to rescue the world when I'm not taking care of myself. I need to pursue Jesus and let Him guide me how to take care of me and he'll take care of that too. But, 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 yeah. You're addicted to the way people make you feel. You're going to work on another addiction? Yeah. You got a bunch of them, Tom. There's all these different things that get in the way of my relationship with you, Tom. Why don't you spend more time with me and then you'd be filled up to be able to do what I'm asking you to do rather than you running ahead trying to do it yourself. Maybe that's why I won't tell you what the next thing is. It's because you'll do it without me. Because you can do it so much quicker, can't you, Tom? But, 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 sit still and trust me. I got so sick and tired of that answer. So I just started to sit still and trust him. And everything started to kind of fall into place. And all of a sudden I started to have more peace. And all of a sudden my anger started to lift. All of a sudden, trying to control and manipulate started to go away. All of a sudden, codependency started to get broken off. 
All of a sudden, what other people did didn't validate me. All of a sudden, my identity is more in Christ. All of a sudden, I'm getting a lot healthier because I'm not chasing the things of the world and still standing in the church. And we get guilty of that, and we don't even realize that we're doing it. But Jesus asked us to repent. If he hasn't asked you to repent, you haven't been talking to him recently. Because I guarantee you did something today you shouldn't have. Why? Because we're all sinners. Well, I'm not a sinner. Yes, you are. And we can show you scripture after scripture after scripture where I fall short. And then we can find some for you too. But Hosea is asking Israel to repent. And worship the one true God. And one day this true messianic king will rule over your people again. And he will come from this line of David and he will bring God's blessing. Today we rest in that. Today we celebrate this vision, this prophetic word that a Messiah would come. Today we have it. They were just shooting it in the dark. They didn't know what it was going to look like. They just could hear it and see it and vision. But yet they didn't have the tangible. We have it. We have the words written on the pages. We we have the history, not even in the Bible. You can go to other sources and see what Jesus has done and how He lived His life and how He was killed and resurrected and how He walked around after He was dead. It's in other people's literature. It's not just in ours. See, there's this cause and effect that takes place in our lives. Israel was unfaithful because they thought they knew God. They had the knowledge of God. And this was really neat. The Hebrew word for know is yada. Maybe like Yoda, but yada. So no, no knowledge, knowledge. It's more than what is described. To know is to have an intimate relationship. To know God is to have an intimate relationship. That we could have knowledge about God and not know God. I've been doing this a long time now. In the hardest people to deal with are you church kids that think you know stuff. I will take someone who's never stepped foot in a church that knows absolutely jack about Jesus except for they get presents at Christmas and they eat ham on Easter and start talking about Jesus and they friggin' skyrocket because it's brand new to them. Someone that's been in the church their whole life, you have to like tear down all this junk all these things they think they know. Well, it's supposed to go this way. They told me it was about like that. And now we do this and not do that. And the Bible, well, the Bible says what? <laughs> I, I, I just read the book. Well, I don't need to read the book. I go to church like 17 times a day. 
just read the book. Read the book. It's so much easier to build ground on, or build something on ground that doesn't have something already built. And we have to come in and tear down the things that we think we know. See, when you get an addict or an alcoholic that's fresh off the street and they're brand new to God, it's real easy to teach them stuff about God because they're hungry to learn about God because they're broken. You take a church person that is broken, they think they know about God, so they're like, I'm just back in God. Well, you were back in God when you were doing all the junk you were doing. You were still going to church because you had to. Well, yeah, uh, but, uh, yeah. So maybe you don't really understand God. Yes, I do. No, you don't. See, this is what's going on, is they think they knew about God, but yet their actions showed that they didn't. And yet here's this guy, this Hosea, who had this intimate relationship with God, and God's asking him to do this all this stuff, that the religious people are like, nah, screw that chick, let's just stone her, it'll be fun, we'll have a party. And then we'll go worship some other God. And we'll throw another party, and we'll just kill this guy's son. It'll be cool. Like, we worship all these gods in this life, and in this world, and in this time, just like they did back then. So to know God is to realize that I need to know someone. That if we know church traditions and we know how to go through the motions of church, that we know church. But we don't necessarily know Jesus. We have to begin to repent and say, God, I need you. I need to change. I need to heal. We have to have this relationship with Him because if we're just going through the motions, we can go through the motions of recovery or we can go through the motions of church and we're still missing it. And we can learn a lot of stuff about both of those places and yet we still miss it. Because we don't know who we should know. He wants to pull us into this relationship and there's times that He uses brokenness and suffering and pain to get our attention. Because I don't know if you recognize this. I know that I recognize this in myself and I'm ashamed of it, but it's still the truth. When things are going better, I pray less. When things get real crazy, me and Jesus are hanging out. I gotta pray. I gotta worship. I gotta get in my word. And then all of a sudden things start going good and where does Tom go? Into the TV. Into the Chinese food restaurant. See, God wants us to know Him and to experience His presence. He wants us to experience His love firsthand. And a lot of times we can't do that if we're going through the motions. See, when we know Jesus, it transforms our heart. When we know about church, it just transforms our behaviors. You know, if we're trying to behave because we're around church people and then when we're not around church people, we have a completely different behavior, we're missing something. But when we know Jesus, it doesn't matter where we go, we act the same way because our identity is in Christ, not in the people that we're around. And it takes a minute at first, but you start to recognize it and be like, wow, that's completely different when I hung out with that person. Why did I do that? Because your identity is not in Christ. Yes, it is. Well, why did you do that? I don't know. 
And then we start to learn, like, I need more Jesus. I need more, my family sucks. I need more Jesus. I hate my job. I need more Jesus. But I have a Christian coffee cup. No one cares. <laughs> no one, absolutely no one cares that you have a bumper sticker that says John 3.16. You know what they do care about? Is that when you start loving the people that are unlovable. When you start being generous in a time when your money's tight. When you serve when you're busy. When you put things in the right priority. God, family, yourself, work. Rather than other people. A lot of times we get things screwed up. Because we're doing it out of our own selfish desires and how it makes me feel. And Jesus wants to be the reason that we feel. So he starts shifting things and, and making us very uncomfortable and he removes something and we're like, wait, 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 I needed that. Like, no, not right now. I got it. Trust me. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's supposed to be where I want it to be because I like it when it's right where I want it. It's like, no, I'm just going to do it this way for a minute. Like, oh. But see, when we trust in the sovereignty of God, when things don't go our way, we're like, uh-huh, trust Jesus. Yay. See, he uses all these different things to get us to know him, to know, know him. Because if we don't know him, church isn't enough to satisfy the brokenness. And we go to church and we're like, something's missing. It's Christmas. I should be happy. But yeah, everything's falling apart around you. It doesn't matter if it's Christmas. The world was dark on its, our first Christmas. Very dark. God hadn't spoken in 400 years. That they didn't know God. Their their complete world was taken over by the Greeks and the Romans and everything was upside down and they had people telling them what they could do and couldn't do and they weren't allowed to do this and they could do that and they're slaves in their own cities and all of a sudden here's a baby. Changed everything. See, Hosea tells us how Things are being religious or fake. Because we're constantly breaking the Ten Commandments. That's what they're there for, actually. You know, we could create 600 laws to, to be able to do the Ten, but we weren't able to do the 600 or the Ten. But yet, when we have Jesus, all of a sudden we have Jesus inside of us, we stop doing a lot of those things that we're not supposed to be doing that we were trying really hard not to do before and couldn't seem to manage to do it. See, Jesus cares a lot about social injustices. He cares a lot about his house. And see, in that time and day and age, that they were taking advantage of the poor and they were bringing people into slavery and they were worshiping other gods in, in God's house and they were murdering kids in the temple of God. You know, they were worshiping Baal and a variety of other gods. Eh, no big deal. God hasn't talked in a while. God doesn't really care if I'm doing this because God wants me to be happy. You know, each one of us has a, a level, an element of hypocrisy. Can we just be honest? Well, you're a hypocrite. Well, guess what? So are you. 
We all are. We all say and do things we shouldn't. We all have masks. I mean, that's basically what the word means is that we're actors. Until our identity is completely in Christ and we're able to to live this life unto death, we constantly put up masks at work, in our family, with people. But why are we doing what we do? You know it seems like such a big term, but it's still the truth that we still prostitute ourselves today. Well, Tom, I didn't sell myself for sex, but you sold yourself for other things. And that's what the word means, is that you sold yourself for something. And we've just connected it with sex. But we prostitute ourselves. Why? Well, you know, I need this job. You know, I, I need it. You know, I'm just going to skip church once in a while. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, my family's doing this thing, so I'm just going to stop going here. And all of a sudden we start to prioritize other things in front of Jesus, and all of a sudden the TV and Netflix and chill becomes way more important than Jesus and chill. And all of a sudden, less and less time with Jesus, less and less time at the house of God, less and less time in our Word, and all of a sudden craziness happens and we turn to the world for our solutions. You know, that Israel was making all these connections with all these pagan gods and they were making all these political connections with Egypt because Egypt was going to come and rescue them from the Assyrians and Egypt was like, peace out. (laughs) We don't want nothing to do with it. How many times have we been like, you're in my corner, where'd you go? Hosea gives us this message that our world is going to come crashing down. It's really no different than today. That any given second, our world can be completely different. We can wake up one way and go to bed a completely different way because I'm not God and I don't get to control the way my life goes. But yet I worship and know the one who does. So even when things don't go the way I'd hoped or expected or been praying for and they go a completely different way, I could say, Jesus, I don't like this, I don't get this, but I got you. And you're going to walk me through this. And I don't know how you're going to do this because I feel dead inside. And I, I feel like I can't stop crying. And I, and I feel like this just hurts. I don't know where this pain comes from, but it just hurts. And it hurts me a lot. And I, I just want it to stop. But deep down inside, he's trying to get to the matter in our heart. He's trying to uproot something that's deep down inside of us that's in the way of us getting closer to Jesus. So when things get adjusted or moved, all of a sudden it creates all this more room for Jesus. And all of a sudden there's all these things that are exposed and vulnerable. And all of a sudden we're like, I need something to fill that. And I can turn to this world to fill it, or I can turn to Jesus to fill it. Many of us have turned to the world in many different facets and forms, and it's left us broken and busted and and longing. And that moment that we finally had had enough and we said, Jesus, I can't do this anymore. And we surrendered for the first time, even though we've gone through the motions of church, Jesus was completely different. We're like, whoa, it's been like this the whole time. Why didn't anybody tell me? I think they were trying, but you think you knew. You know, Hosea goes down and gives us this history lesson. He 
He's like Jacob was a deceiver. Then there's the rebellion in the wilderness. And then you chose a king over your prophets. And the prophet said, you know, and you're like, no, we want a king. And you're like, no, you should have a prophet. And we're like, no, I have a king. And God's like, I have him a king. Watch this. It's going to go down in flames. Have a king. Then that king didn't listen to God. He wanted to do it his own way. And what happened? More craziness. Don't we do that? We, we pray, God, give me a word. He gives us a word. We're like, ah, I don't really like that. I'm going to do it this way. Hosea is making a point that our dysfunction never changes until we surrender it to Jesus. Hosea gives this final message that hope in God, our loving Father. I absolutely struggled with this for a minute. I was okay with Jesus. Holy Spirit people are weird. Father people, get out of here. I just need some Jewish carpenter in my life. You talk about Holy Spirit of the Father, you can just get away from me. Because I had deep father wounds. I had deep father wounds. Brokenness. Abandonment. Rejection. And I was angry. So anytime that someone would talk about God as a loving father, I'd be like... We're in church. I'm not going to hurt you. But see, if we look at our Heavenly Father through the lens of our biological Father, our Heavenly Father responds the same way as our biological Father, that we project our biological Father onto our Heavenly Father. So in rather than Christ being us, we put our Father in Him. And our father will fall short, even if you've had the greatest of dads. He's still not a heavenly father. And a lot of us still struggle with God because there's all these things that we're like, I don't like that about God. But that's our own projection on God. It's not the Word of God because we don't read the Word of God. We just make up stuff as we go along. The more we get into the Word of God, we see the Father's love and the kindness and peace and the hope and the mercy and the grace that's coming from the Father. That Jesus is just a tangible representation of the Father in heaven, but I'm like, I, just, I, just, I like some Jesus, but not the Father. But Hosea is talking about the Father. God is the Father. And that the Son is like, I don't want what you have, and he takes it and runs away. And we see that same connection in the prodigal son. That the Father comes and rescues and, and opens up his arms and, and swallows him whole and says, I, I long for you. I knew you were coming. That our Heavenly Father is always pursuing us. Always pursuing us, trying to give us hope. God's heart is broken for us. He longs to be closer to us. He longs to have this intimate, personal relationship because he knows us and he wants us to know him. And by his mercy and compassion, he forgives our sins. <laughs> That's amazing. Sure you did. 
And by His mercy, He shows us His compassion. There's not anything that we have done or will do or have done that He won't forgive us from or for. We just have to come to Him and say, I want to know You. You know, the Assyrians came in and and destroyed Israel again and they conquered it and completely tore everything to the ground. But God still had His final word that Hosea gives this message that one day He will heal the wayward sons and daughters. And my love for you will freely flow. And you will love Him and you will know Me and you will return to Me and that my grace will heal all of your brokenness. You just bow your heads, Zuni. Lord, I just thank you so much. I thank you that you constantly chase us. I thank you that you don't give up on us. I thank you that you go far above, above and beyond our own standards of what we think you should do and not do. That each one of us, we're the worst sinners we know. And yet your grace meets us in these moments. And your love for us consistently, constantly transforms us. Lord, help us to know you. Help us not to just go through the motions of behavioral modification, whether it's recovery or church. Lord, help us to know you. Help us to get to know you. Lord, I just ask you to uproot religion. You to uproot things that get in our way. Lord, as painful as it may be, as humbling as it may have to be for us to come to this place where we finally surrender and we're powerless, help us to reach this place where we stop trying to manipulate and manage our own lives in your sake and we believe that you are the one that's going to restore us as only you can. And Lord, I just ask that you'd come right now and minister to the men and women in this room and that you would begin to renew areas in our minds, that you begin to heal areas in our heart, that you begin to uproot the brokenness and begin to heal, not by our actions, because we fall short, but because of your mercy and your righteousness and your love and your hope and your peace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that healing would begin to occur in each and every one of us. Lord, the greatest gift that we could ever get this Christmas is a deeper relationship with You and that breakthroughs could take place and healings would take place and areas in our minds would be healed and areas in our hearts would be healed in Your powerful name. So Lord, we just thank You so much, Lord. We thank You for all that You have done, are doing, and will do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.